0: In this episode of the Skylabs Audio Podcast, I got to sit down with Bill Newman, owner of FixMyDuel.com. Bill is known by most as the leading expert in vintage dual turntables, as he has customers from almost every country in the world. Some of Bill's turntables have been used for movies and TV series, including Martin Scorsese's and Mick Jagger's HBO show, Vinyl. Hope you enjoy the conversation as Bill shares his extensive knowledge of vintage dual turntables and more. How did you get involved in dual turntables? When I was a teenager in
1: 1971, I bought my first dual, a dual 1214. Loved it, replaced the old Girard, which was not very good, and said, This thing is really something. And so, I always had Duels. I kept moving up in models, up in models, up in models to the nicer nicer ones. Uh, always had Duels as I was growing up, getting older. Had different brands, had other brands, and always got rid of them. They didn't have the mechanical wherewithal that a Duel did. They didn't have the durability, the build quality that the Duel did. Duel didn't try to be a Cadillac. That wasn't their thing. They said, there's more expensive turntables, there are better turntables, we'll tell you that. But their goal was was to make an affordable turntable that had tremendous build quality. So they weren't gonna be a Chevy, they weren't gonna be a Cadillac. Between an Oldsmobile and a Buick worked for them. It's exactly what they did and it hit the nail on the head. In the late 60s into the mid 70s, in my opinion, was the zenith of the build quality for the duels. Uh, The durability was there, unbelievable motors were there, everything about them was extremely well built. As you went forward into the later 70s, the Japanese tables were coming onto the market and they did a pretty good job. I remember going to some of the chain stores and they would bring in in the morning a pallet of Pioneer PL-12D turntables. They were semi-automatic, they'd look good, and they chunked them out the door for 99 bucks. And at the end of the day, the pallet was empty. And Dual couldn't compete. So they were getting cheaper and cheaper in their build quality to try to get their prices down. Went to belt drive turntables away from direct drive or idler wheel drive, which is cheaper, and basically lost their way. And the CD revolution took them out once and for all in the 90s. Uh, how I got into it is I've always been extremely mechanically inclined. That's just my bend. And when I was younger, my hobby was rebuilding wreck Corvettes. I just had a great time crawling around on those things. As I got older and not quite so flexible, uh, I decided maybe I need to go a different direction with this. And I had old duels. I could fix them up. This is fun. Uh, taught myself. That's the only way to do it and because there's no 1-800-DUEL to call, so you're on your own. Uh, In the mid-90s, you could buy and sell these things on eBay. That was something new. And so this is kind of fun. And so I got to thinking, you know, when I get older, I'm going to retire and look for something to do. And so work in the garage, make some duels, make a few dollars, stay out of my wife's hair. This is a win-win situation. A friend of mine in 2004 told me, Bill, you ought to put up a website. And against against my better judgment, I did. And it just exploded. Had to quit my day job. Had to forget the garage. Had to set up a shop. Had to set up an office. And today, we're just swamped with work, thankfully. Uh, we send deals all over the world. We have several repeat customers I uh, have one shake in Saudi Arabia that buys one about every six, eight months. Just wants to try a different one. The FedEx bill is like 1500 bucks to get it to him, but it doesn't matter. Uh, we have some really interesting customers that we've run across. And I've learned a lot from a lot of really neat people. I think the best part of the whole job is I'm working with toys.
0: Yeah,
1: Everybody loves their toys, I do too. And everybody's in a good mood, so it makes it so much fun. Uh, you can you're starting with a tremendous product, and there was a fella at audio Labs downtown called Lou, and Lou was a salesman for them, and he didn't like duels. We got along just great, but he didn't like duels, so we agreed to disagree and He had a term for duels, which was very apropos. People would bring a dual in for service, and they say it has dualitis. What in the world is that? The mechanics don't work quite right. They're a little bit sluggish. It's not quite right. So they bring it in for service. And this is true everywhere, all over the country, probably all over the world. The dual design, I think, was exceptional. Every little detail was just right. And at the end of the day, putting this stuff together, they had planned obsolescence. They put grease where you shouldn't put grease. And over time, grease will attract dirt and dust and get sticky. And the mechanisms just don't work quite right. Well, you take it into Bob, the service guy, and he's going to give you the standard answer, 12 weeks. You don't want to wait 12 weeks. So you're walking out with a new dual which is exactly what they wanted you to do. So honestly, so much of our our process with these machines, besides resetting everything up, is disassembling them and cleaning them and getting rid of all that old gunk and garbage and no grease in our shop, absolutely none. It's strictly high-speed machine oil because oil does not attract dust and dirt. and stays where you put it. And we have been doing this now full-time since 2004, and they haven't started coming back yet. Well, that's great. So... Uh, I think so much of what we do, the single word I come up with is passion. This is the machine I like. I'm not saying it's the best. There's other good stuff out there, but this is what I like. This is what I like to work on, and I'd like to think that the passion shows through in the quality of the product that we put out the door, because that's everything. That's what people want. Just I want my record player to work. That's that's all we want. So. Uh, it's fun. It's it's a great business. And so it's great getting up every day. Ever since we put up the website, it's been about 70 hours a week, every week. But that's okay. Yeah, It's fun. I have a shop set up at home as well. So if my wife wants to see me on the weekend, she can. And if not, that's good too.
0: You take customer units home too there. Oh, absolutely. Every yeah. night.
1: Yep. Every night. Yeah. I try to do one turntable at night every night wow. as well, what I'm doing during the day. So... You know turn on the ball game or whatnot with the TV in the garage, and off you go.
0: What do you think your average is? maybe a month? how many so if you're doing well I'll, I'll say a week we're we're trying to kick out the door
1: probably ten to twelve units a week in service and probably one to two in sales. Wow, lately sales have been going up you, you never know. Um, we stock over eighty duels for sale. At every all times, and uh, the reason I do that is if a customer calls and says, "Bill, I'm looking for a particular dual," my initial answer is, "Yes, I got it." Yeah. Well, what, 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 what? Nope, I got it. Don't worry. Yeah. It's here. We'll take care of you. And and that's fun too, is being able to do that. Um, Dual was imported into this country. I'll take a step back. The way Dual was set up is they set up a, a, a gr- arrangements in various countries with companies to import the duels and then distribute them. Dual didn't do that. They worked with Grundig in Germany, a company called Noresco in Canada, and United Audio based in New York here and in the United States. United Audio would place their order for duels. Uh, The people in St. George and the Black Forest would pack them up and send them over here. And then United Audio made their own walnut veneer bases and dust covers that they made it up with these duels so you could buy the whole package. And after 50 years, their bases and dust covers have fallen apart. They weren't well built to begin with. And so that's one of the things that we do is I have a wood background. So we make our own walnut lumber bases and the best walnut in the world is right here in Iowa. And we work with a sawmill out, outside of town about two hours from here. So it, it works out real, real well. And so we bring us really great materials. So as far as I know, we're the only people anywhere that are offering a dual that is in as close to new condition as you can find. And my comment to customers is to me, more than half, more than half of the enjoyment of enjoying a nice piece of equipment like this is watching it work, having it look great, doing its job as good as it possibly can. Obviously you want it to sound like it should, but if you don't really care about the appearance, buy a CD or an MP3 or something, put a disc in a slot and walk away, it'll be good enough for you. But the experience of working with real wood, a real massive piece of metal, and it's no different, your vintage receivers here, just, you know, there's something about that original look that makes it work. And so that's that's also what we're selling. That's kind of our trademark is we're using that uh, new wood, new dust cover, new cartridge. Everything is as new as we can make it. Um, are you manufacturing other parts? Oh, you have light? to.
0: Okay, you have to. On three D print, or what yeah. are you sourcing that? We're doing all that stuff because you have to. Yeah.
1: When the whole thing started, you had to be creative. Yeah. And being creative meant there are some wear items that you could duplicate using rubber tubing or this or that, various things you see, hey, I can make this work.
0: Or that super stimper nipple. Yeah, studer pimple. There
1: you go. Which I call clutch, <laughs> which never... I call a clutch tip. Okay. And, and we make that out of uh, neoprene. And it works great. They never fail. Uh, the original ones do fail, but these don't. Uh, but yes, in the past, when certain parts would break, you would have to rob them off another duel and hopefully get one that's cosmetically kind of bad. Good, I can rob parts and make this one that's nice work. Well now, with 3D printing going like it's going, uh, we work with uh, three different vendors now in doing 3D printing and we're printing out of metal. And we're printing stuff that's better than the original was. Good, That won't fail. Uh, And the original with plastic will fail over time. Now I'm not gonna beat these people up. They didn't anticipate duels sure. playing for 50 years because if they did, they wouldn't be selling any record players right. uh, back in the day. So I can't beat them up over that. But this is a different set of rules. It's kind of like records way back when people would stack records and I not even think about it. Well, now you should be shot if you stack records yeah. because you've got to take care of what you have. It's not... The corner story you plunk down four dollars to get a new copy of sure. jethro tells benefit that you spilled your beer on or whatever
0: sure
1: so there's you've got to be careful of what you got. There's a lot of them out there, millions of them still and uh, I focus on the period we talked about late 60s early to mid 70s because that's when the build quality was the best and quite frankly that's when i was really cutting my teeth on duels and that's what i was the most familiar with yeah and so that's right where i gravitated to and just happened to be at the right period uh when i was getting into the stereo stuff as a kid
0: so would that be like the ten and the twelve line?
1: Not a fan of the ten series, okay. and, and many people are, and a lot of people are going to disagree with me, and that's fine. Uh, the, I'll, I'll put it to you this way: one of the popular duels is the ten nineteen, and I would never own one. I wouldn't even consider it. It was replaced in nineteen sixty nine by the twelve nineteen both top of their lines in the day, and they were an idler wheel drive turntable, which is a little rubber tire engages the drive lip of the platter and the motor pulley, and it's usually a very heavy pulley, like between four and seven pounds, and the intent was to give you speed stability, and it worked quite well. But long story short, the 10 series was designed in 63, and the 12 series in 69, and we all know what happened to science and technology in the 60s. And the same was true for turntables. The 1219 retained the build quality of the 1019, but absolutely destroyed the 1019's Tonearm. The 1219s was far superior a true gimbal mount. Dual knew how to make gimbal mount and gyroscopes because they made, they don't talk, didn't talk about this, but they made uh, the gyroscopes for the U-boats in World War II. That was their contribution to the war effort. But the true gimbal mount tone arm was one of the best production arms ever made. It was longer. And the other thing that made a real difference is the 10 series was designed around 78 RPM platform mm. and stacking records. That's what it was made for. And in 63, that's what people did. In 69, they didn't. They'd switched to the LPs and we're starting to play them one at a time. And that's where the 1219 really shined. It was the first automatic table that you could play like a manual and have the correct tone on angle for a single play records. Mm. That's what just made it so much better. The removable head shell is better. The, the Everything about the 12 series, in my opinion, is better. Does a 1019, say, in good working order sound terrific? Yeah, it really does. Yeah, sure. It does sound terrific. It does a good job. Yeah. but. It's just, nah, you want the 12 Series. <laughs>
0: yeah. Idler drives get a lot of flack from people because, you know, there is that, you know, um, the wheel is essentially putting its energy into the platter, which they, they claim rumble. Even mm-hmm. though, you know, like the Gerard 301, and there's a lot of idler drives, what are the Thorns 124? Right. I know that's kind of a, a, a nasty word for you, but, okay. yeah. you know, you know the uh, if an idler drive I mean, do you do you feel like there is an advantage to a belt drive over an idler drive? Or are you are you are you under the impression that if a if an idler drive is properly, you know, tuned and in spec, um, you, you shouldn't worry about rumble per se. I'm gonna go a slightly different direction. Okay. On you on that. Uh belt drive is cheap. Okay.
1: Belt drive is that's all it is. Any belt drive turntable has got a lighter duty motor, lighter duty platter lighter duty, everything. It was a cost-cutting measure to go to belt drive. An idler wheel drive is more expensive to build because it's heavier components, bigger motor, bigger, heavier platter. Why a heavier platter? Uh, It levels out, line variations in voltage, any little movement that you might get that could kind of jump a little bit. Will you ever hear it in a belt drive? Nah, I don't think so. On an idler wheel, never. It's kind of like, An idler wheel table is kind of like taking a ship in the middle of the ocean and spinning the wheel and waiting for it to turn. Oh, it'll get there, but it's just going to take its time. And so any variations in line signal or whatever, you're never going to hear it in an idler wheel table. Because of the mass of the platter, the inertia will overcome any little variations you have. Now, rumble. Good point. Uh, There's people that rebuild our idler wheels. The old ones, like in the ten series, they all pretty much are shot. The twelve series, they did something different, and I've had very good luck with them being very, very quiet. Uh, but there are people out there that rebuild them, and we send them to a company in, I believe it's Michigan, that rebuilds them for us. And so, and it, and it works real well. It's all new rubber; it works just fine. So you can overcome that, and then everything is nice and quiet. In the early 70s, people, everybody, was turning into turntable snobs. I mean, it was just, "Eh." and people were just tearing up idler wheel drives, saying, wow, that's just making so much noise. And Dual finally said, fine, I'll fix you. And that's when they came out with the electronic direct drive. And the first one was the 701. And the theory behind that is there's no mechanical coupling between the motor and the drive system or the platter spinning. The uh, top of the motor case that spins on that table is actually what the platter sits on. Hmm. So you don't have an idler wheel. You don't have a belt. There's no noise being generated because there can't be. It's electronic. It's dead quiet. And so if somebody really is concerned about that, we'll go, okay, this one's for you because you will not have that issue and that's precisely why dual came out with that i well i'm getting old enough i can't hear much anymore but uh i don't hear rumble i mean if you do usually the biggest culprit is people turn off the dual or for example they have an amplifier and the dual is plugged into the switched convenience outlet and they turn off the amp and the dual is in drive mode well it'll turn off because you killed power to it but the idler wheel is under pressure against that pulley and that'll create a flat spot yeah no, sure then then you start picking up rumbles. so if you abuse the thing yeah you're you're gonna have
0: that issue you're saying to make sure you disengage the idler wheel from the drive after well, you're done playing. we'll take it a step further uh you've got to plug
1: in my opinion, any turntable, but for sure a dual, you've got to have power to it all the time. In the 1219, for example, it's a 99% mechanical beast. There's one capacitor in it in the power supply. And what that allows is a tiny little trickle of electricity to get through. And so if you don't have that, when you power up a turntable, you can get a pop at the beginning or you can get a pop when it shuts off. That little trickle stops that. So then they're dead quiet, works great, unless you plug it into the switched outlet and disable it. Then you get the pop, what happened? Have you plugged it into power all the time? Well, no. Well, you need to, and it'll go away. Wow, good tip. So that's why you thats why you do that, and that's true for any turntable. But in the same vein, if you turn off your amp and forget to turn off your dual, just about all of them without exception. I'm trying to think of one that doesn't and I can't but they will all shut off either re- Most of them return to the rest and shut off Some of them will lift up and shut off But they won't just sit there and do like an AR does go and go and go where you have to pay attention to no disrespect to AR it's a good table, but it's purely manual. Yeah, that's what it's designed to do Yeah, so you can't beat them up on that, but most people say I don't want to get up of the easy chair and go pick this thing, or if I fall asleep, yeah, well, that happens. So
0: <laughs> that's the benefits to a automatic versus a manual. And that, you know, you, you get the creature comfort, so you don't have to worry about it, set it, walk away, do dishes, vacuum. Sure. Don't have to worry about the record stopping. Uh Nice thing about a manual is you never really have to fix it. And that's what I tell
1: people, too. When we sell record players, somebody comes in or gives us a call most most of the time. Uh, my first question is going to be, how are you going to use it? How are you going to listen to it? And they people can come in and say, Bill, I hear the 701 is the, the wherewithal, the end all, is what you have to have. And I go, well, maybe, maybe. How do you listen to it? And I like to say, are you the type of person who will go into a room, shut the door, sometimes close the blinds or window shades, and sit there, and turn on the stereo, and focus on it, and put on something, and really listen to it, and have a good system to go along with it. If that's the type of person you are, let's talk about the 701. If you're a person, which I would say is more normal, that really wants it to sound good, but has a life other going on, then that's a waste of money. You won't hear or appreciate uh, the difference in sound, which is very negligible, but I had this one customer, and I don't have a trained ear. Far from it. I'm more of a mechanic than anything else. That's what I am. One of my professors was a music professor at Penn State. Okay, you know music. And he came back to me about a month after buying a 701. He said, Bill, I got to tell you there's this one orchestral passage that I listened to. And in the back of the right speaker, and he knew right in the placement where he wanted it, he said it's percussion. And there's a hi-hat cymbal back there. I've never heard that cymbal slide on its stand. He said in the 701, I heard that. First time I've ever heard it, I knew it was there. His exact words, I knew it was there, but I never heard it. I heard it here okay you've got the right turntable it did something that no other turntable did for you and he had some expensive ones and never had it he said this is it i got it okay I'm, i believe you yeah I, sure. I hate one. so to a trained ear which is much smarter than i uh yeah that so we try to get the right record player to the right person i talked with a customer about an hour and a half ago who bought three turntables from me. So I want one for my daughter and she's going to college. I have a dual 1229, I think she'd love it. I go, well, uh, remembering my college days, I'd say that's maybe a little bit too nice of a turntable. Let's get her one that's a little more price efficient
0: for you, but it's gonna sound terrific. What do you recommend to somebody that maybe, you know, uh, like an entry level dual, first time dual at a college? That's tough.
1: And and because you've got to weigh more factors than money. And and the reason I say that is we can get you into an inexpensive duel that's gonna do a great job. And I say inexpensive with our bases and dust covers, they start at about 450 bucks. So it's not cheap. Uh and they go up over eleven hundred. So that's kind of the range of where our duels are. So it's not something you spend lightly, and I understand that. But I feel an obligation if a customer's talking to me about a specific turntable or a specific dual, Bill, I have a model 1212. I'd like you to fix it up. Nope, won't do it. I can, but it's not worth the money you're going to invest in it. And a lot of times people will buy gear and they get the bug and oh, I've got to try the next thing. I was the same way and uh, probably still am, but see, I get to do it and. It's really kind of fun because I can take a different turn home table home every night if I want to. That's a bit of a luxury. But uh, anyway, I talk to people about saying, look, if you buy this model or this model, and if you change your mind or want to try something different, you're going to get your money out of it. It, It's going to sell. It's in demand. If you get this particular model, you're stuck. I mean, there's no demand for it. People want the top end stuff, they just do. So uh, we try to steer people to the higher end stuff. We have plenty of entry level type tools and and that's fine. And there's a lot of people, and some of these entry level ones, what we do with them is, as you know, the console business is crazy. And people are looking to get these old 50s and 60s consoles up and moving and working. And it's great, and I'm tickled to death to help him. I've got one at home yeah. uh, that we fixed up, and it's, it's, I put a dual 12. What did I? I put a 1216 in that one because the 1218 has a gimbal mount and it was too high, and the 1216 didn't. It just tucked in just perfectly. So you kind of got to think. But that's what. And those tables fit in that application beautifully. There's smaller chassis size and that's what fits in say a console. Yeah. And so for that application,
0: they're terrific because whatever dual you put in is going to be better than the GE you took out of the thing. Well, a lot of turntable or a lot of consoles, you know, especially Grundig and Saba and mm-hmm. Telefunken, all came with dual turntables in it from factory.
1: And we do a lot of even upgrading with duals. They came with like a 10 10, 1011, 10, 10 12. Eh. Let's put you into a nicer dual that'll fit right in and yeah. sound better, Drop play in, better.
0: Play. Perfect.
1: And we run into a situation too, which helps our customers a ton. Uh, we make on a 3D printer, or I'm sorry, on a CNC router, bespoke, uh, our inserts, are tempered masonite for our wood bases. And so I said, hey, here's here's an insert. You can put it in here and with a router, use it as a template to machine it or just cut a big hole, screw it down and you're done. So, you know, that's little things like
0: that. It makes it easier for people to think. You're absolutely right. Because we, at one point, we're in the console business and a lot of the problem with those consoles is the real estate. You know, most turntables are 18 inches wide. You can't put a modern turntable inside of a console uh the the framing and we've used your template you gave me one at one point and uh i i used it and it worked great um that is we used to recommend duels for people all the time i think i'd sent them over to you to grab you know go go grab a, a turntable from dual or from bill and then we'll install it sure and um and they're spring-loaded which is good too for uh rumble mitigation or yep. uh, feedback loop so um i know you've got some pretty high-end customers have. Have any of your turntables ever made it into uh, any movies or anything like that? that it's you know?
1: interesting, they have. Um, and how these people find me, I'll never understand. But but they do. And uh, we were talked, a production company that was shooting uh, Mick Jagger's film for, I believe it was HBO, and it was called Vinyl. Vinyl. Uh, they called in a panic saying, Bill, we need two 1219s. And so I was taught, they had no idea what they were looking for. And I know how I am. If I watch movies from the 60s or 70s time period and they flash a turntable, if something doesn't look right, I'm gonna scream at the screen. That's right. This isn't right.
0: That's right.
1: And so they go, Bill, this takes place in 1969. This is when, the t- good, 1219 came out in 69, that's great. Uh it was most likely sold with a sure N ninety one E, not an E D, uh-huh. but an E. Yeah. That's E D didn't come out until 1970. People are gonna notice that, as sure. dumb as it sounds. So we had everything period correct, and they knew that. And word got back to me that people commented on that saying, How did you find one so period correct? Nice. So you you've got to be on top of your ball. There's been a few other movies, uh the what was it, Live and Die in Hollywood, the latest one from Tarantino. No. Oh. Whatever that was in. There's what was that called we put a dual twelve or ten nineteen in that one. And I forget what the name, but anyway, that was the latest Tarantino one. And then uh there was another one. I don't know. I've kind of lost track of them, but they do call from time to time saying, Bill, we we need and where did they find me? I mean it's not like I'm out of advertising, but but they do. And these production people, they have money to spend and everything is sent overnight. You know, I have it there in two, three days and say, I want it tomorrow. And yes, ma'am. Yes. Yeah, sure. That's it. Yeah. I know when to say yes. That's cool, though. I mean, that's that's really cool. So, yeah, you get to do that. But but so much and the fun
0: for me. Once upon a time in Hollywood.
1: That's it. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Thank you. But what? It's fun for me is the challenge of making sure it's period correct.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's the, you don't want to get that wrong. No, you don't No, no. Isn't the, isn't the green stylus? Actually black. Black. Okay. It's it's the black one in
1: the ED was yellow. Okay, okay. But the cartridge body was different. And these are all things that you would see. And it's just, and you know, 99% of the people wouldn't get it. Yeah. 1% would. Yep. And I'm that 1%. Oh, I'll pick them apart. If I see it, uh, yell at my wife, that's not right. Yeah. Oh, be quiet. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right, all right. was still not right. (laughs) Right, right, right. It's not right.
0: Well, they got the right guy. So,
1: yep, attention to detail. All you do, but attention to detail. And have fun. Yeah. And have fun. It is music after all.
0: Key to life. Yep. Real quick, and we'll get back into the interview with Bill. If you're enjoying the content, want to help support the channel, do make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Make sure to head over to SkylabsAudio.com forward slash shop for lots of cool T-shirts, platter mats, Grado products, custom speaker stands, and a lot more. And now let's get back to Bill and talking about duels. Thank you.
1: Are you okay? Ask me another question. Yeah.
0: Let's do one more question. Okay.
1: Bill, why do you like duels over other brands? Okay. <laughs> Bill, why do you like duels? <laughs> As we talked earlier, it's what I had, it's what I like. There's other brands that are good tables. Some people are really fussy about their records, they're fussy about vacuum cleaning them. They've got all kinds of stuff, and that ain't me. So I'm used to my disc washer, which everybody seemed to have. They were relatively inexpensive. Did a good job of cleaning records. And when I was in college, I had my duels and everything was fine. And I'd open up, put a record on. I'd put uh, my disc washer, put my fluid on it, and put it on the leading edge of the record as it's spinning and kind of rotated. And you'd dog down the motor a little bit. But it would go. And then your record's clean and you're playing. Life is simple. I liked it. Yeah. Some reason I decided I had to have a Thorns. And I owned that one day and got rid of it. Went right back to the store. I said, I don't want my dual back. Why? What's wrong? What's wrong with it? I said, well, I'll tell you what's wrong with it. I didn't think it through. For most people or a lot of people that are really take care of their records, it wouldn't matter. You can't use a disc washer on a thorns no. because the You'll chassis, bottom it'll bottom out every time. Yeah. And so... Not good, not bad. Philips is that way, AR is that way, several brands are, and that's fine. But I'm lazy. I like my disc washer. That's just who I am. And that's why another reason why duels work for me.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh it's just very, very customer friendly. Cause I put the disc washer on it. Chunk. Yeah. I just looked at it. What? This isn't gonna work. Yeah. <laughs> I could change my habits or change the turntable. Well, we know what happened there.
0: Yeah. And you, I mean, just because I know you, I've talked to you so many times. In your opinion, the kind of the Cadillac is the 701? It is. Uh, I like,
1: again, that was a sweet spot in the early to mid 70s where build quality was perfect. Getting into the later 70s, things were getting cheaper. There was more plastic and Dual was starting to get a little too cute for its own good. And the reason I say that, again, Take a step back, Bill. They were putting some plastic parts in, and they weren't looking for these things to last 50 years, but they are, and we're and here we are. So we got to work with what we've got. And the one that replaced the 701 was the 720, one direct drive, great motor, everything about it, uh, many things about it. I really like. It has a continuously adjustable height tone arm, so you can get your vertical tracking angle perfect. And if your record is a heavier 180 gram, you could tilt that up a little bit. And oh, it, it great idea. Mm-hmm. Well, you got a ton of little plastic gears and sprockets and things that are made of unobtainium. Yep. And if one breaks, you're sunk. And there's not enough out of them to pay for the development cost to make replacement parts. They made like a hundred thousand of them or so. So there's just half of them have stayed in Europe, half of them are in the in the landfill. And so you're you're having kind of a finite quality of it, of them. So um that's when they started to go. But this the 701, I'm a huge fan of. Uh it's got some issues. Uh one of the biggest issues we run into, and, and people call in a panic, I plugged it in and I smelled it, heard a pop, and it broke. I said, well. Capac as you know better than me capacitors fail due to age and that pop is a good thing it blew the fuse yeah but the capacitors and i see this all the time there's we have a set routine of the capacitors on that machine that we replace and they you get those changes made you get the upgrades done and it's going to go and go and go again it's just uh but yeah we've seen some silly things my favorite story. I'm going to digress here a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Part of the fun, and you know this too, sometimes you run into some really great customers. And years ago, I had Alice from Grand Rapids, Michigan call me. She said, Bill, I want a dual 1015. Answered the phone, No, you don't. They're not that good. It's I have them, but you, Bill, I want a dual 1015. Well, Customer's always right. So we fixed her up with one. And she goes, my husband, the doctor, built a stereo in 1965. And he had specific components in mind, and part of it was a dual 1015. And she said, over the years, things failed, went away, whatever. Well, the doctor's dead now. That's exactly the way she put it. and." I am putting the stereo back together exactly the way it was. Because in 1965, when he put it together, he forbade me from touching it. He said, this is my stereo. This isn't yours. Don't touch it. And so he's dead now, just the way (laughs) she said it. She said, I'm putting that stereo back together, and I'm going to touch the hell out of it. Good for her. Exactly what she said. Good for her. So we've got some wonderful customers. That makes it so much. That makes the business. That's everything. Yeah, it is. And then, people, like we said earlier, we're playing with toys. People are happy. It's a good product to begin with. Uh, I've taken a tour of Germany, and I went over to the Black Forest, where they were from, and Unfortunately, it's long gone, but the German National Turntable Museum is still there, and the next town over is the Cuckoo Clock Museum, and people look at the underside of a duel and will say, my God, look at all the gears of this. It's almost like a cuckoo clock. I said, well, they're neighbors, so it makes perfect it, it, sense.
0: Like, I, it reminds me of like synchronized swimming under there, and I, I, the, the first time I met you, um, I had just opened Skylabs. I had always wanted a duel. I never, I didn't. I had just gotten one, and I was going to get this duel running. And I remember at this point, I had told customers, you know, one, one bit of advice I would say is, you know, when you have something that's specialized, you know, sometimes you just need to find the right person to fix it. You don't want to just take it to anybody. And I said to myself, you know, I'm going to do this in this situation. I got a 1229. This is a really nice turntable. I'm not going to try and fight my way through it. I'm going to find somebody that knows a toll 29 and I'm going to send it to them. And so I get online and I start Googling dual specialist, blah, blah, blah. And I come across the site, fix my dual. And I I wanted to email or, you know, just get some general information. How do I ship it to you? All this stuff. And I remember I I get to the phone number and it says 515. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) So, you know, it turns out that Bill is right in Weston Wayne, Iowa. And so I remember I, you know, I called you, you said, Yeah, bring it on in. So I I, I show up and you brought me back to your back bench area and you had that thing torn apart and it had to have been 15, 30 seconds, somewhere you know, there. I mean, it was it was just down to you were moving so fast. It was so cool to watch, you know, instantly I'm like, this is the guy, obviously. That, you know, you want working on your dual because you know this thing so well It was really apparent really quick and you had that thing put back together new grease new oil That thing ran like a top. It was insane. I was, it was so impressive um, And you know, I used that turntable for a long time I did end up selling it at some point just because I mean, you know how it is especially in in this business I like trying everything like you're saying, you know, take something new home try it out and um I remember the you know, the person that I, I sold that to just still has it to this day. Um and it, it still works great. I've I've bought and sold several turntables just with you in Des Moines. Um, they do come in and they'll they'll say, you know, this is something I bought from from Bill or I had Bill do this, and it's like, oh perfect. I don't even have to worry about it. I can just put it right out on the floor, you know, because I know it works well. So um one one question I've always because it really wasn't a question in there i think I was maybe that was just uh, that was my first experience with bill and fixed my dual um i hear because i'm a grado dealer i really like grado because they're um they're they're just a really good business really great to deal with and but there's even online you see it is there a stigma with dual and grado absolutely there is and what where does that come from and can you put an end to that rumor? good or bad? no um, the problem that
1: people have with Grado, and I have it, but the problem people have with Grado is they pick up a strong hum using a Grado cartridge now in cartridges, you have moving magnet, you have moving coil, and then you have Grado, which is moving, moving iron, iron. Mm-hmm. so it's it's a whole different concept. And usually, if I had to say something that a Grado, I think, is susceptible to hum, but if everything else is correct, you're not going to get it. And that therein lies the secret. You've got to have the right audio patch cables. People equate hum with, I got a problem with ground. No, you don't. Problem isn't most likely with ground problem is most likely in your audio path uh contacts are dirty need polished Uh, it's just you've got to have your equipment in top notch notch working condition then the grado is going to be fine gotcha just it's not but but if a, if a dual is going to hum, it's really going to hum with a Grado. I see. Is what I've run into. But you get everything done like it's supposed to be done. Yeah. It's, it's it's not a problem.
0: Do you have a preference as far as cartridge brand or model goes to like, you know, just a, a, a broad, even on a broad scale? Do you prefer Shures or Pickering, well, Dantons or? It's pretty easy. Uh, I used to really...
1: Use Shure cartridges. And part of the reason was in the early 70s when Dual was developing the 701's tone arm, the Shure brothers over in Evanston were developing the V15 Type Three, And so their happy little engineers all got together and they worked that cartridge around that tone arm. And so it was a perfect setup. Shure had a factory in Germany and they supplied the 701, with their V15 Type 3s, and it was a proprietary version of the V15 Type 3. And in the dual head shell, there's kind of a funny little cutout in the center of the removable head shell, and this cartridge pops up and locks in right there, mm. and it gives you the perfect height, the perfect fore and aft adjustment. It's perfect. Okay. So as I tell people, don't try to outthink the German engineers. You'll never do it. And I learned that a long time ago. So it was a great setup, worked just perfectly. But over time, I have seen the V15 III cartridges fail. Uh, they get moisture inside the case, and that works on the copper windings. And it's getting, and after 50 years, I'm seeing a failure rate pretty high in the V15 III. So I stopped using them. And I am a fan of Ortofon. I like them. They're, uh, I think they do a terrific job. They still make them in Denmark. They sound great. They're easily upgradable stylus wise. And the thing where you have to be careful is they, like everybody else, sometimes manufacturers do dumb things. The newest generation of Ortofons don't fit in dual head shelves, they're wider. Yeah. You can go with a thin walled, newer style head shell and put a shim in there and you can overcome that but the older style the concord design or the om series which is what it is they fit perfectly
0: well they still make the om right yeah still available yeah. but you're talking about the two the two two red and the two yep yeah, bl- the two series they don't fit right I mean, you can horse them in Right, but
1: you don't want to do that
0: personally. I don't think they look good on a dual anyway. No, they're a little too big. Well, that way, yeah, and they're too modern looking. But uh, yep. it doesn't matter anyway. But well, we like the Concord on that
1: design, and so, and I think that uh, the OM twenty. There's a thirty, and there's a forty. Supposedly better, always more money. I think the twenty is the best sounding of all of them. I and I put that now on my seven hundred ones when I sell them, and the customers are just going crazy. It has the most. Open, yet detailed mid-range I've ever heard. It it just explodes at you more than any of the cartridges. Now, other problem was, sure, they don't make them anymore. Yeah. They quit in 2018 because of uh quality control issues with their plant in Mexico, making the M97 XE. And so rather than fix the problems, they said, well, out of this cartridge business overnight. Yeah. And so, yesterday, you buy one of those things online for 79 bucks, and now they're they're 500 or whatever. Exactly. And they're not that good. Yeah. Uh, There's other brands out there doing a very good job. But it's just, I work with a supplier out of New York, and he gives me tremendous service, and he gets me my Ortophons when I need them, whatever quantities I need. So, you have a good relationship with great. I don't have anything bad to say about him. It's just that I have the same type of deal with the Ortophon people, and I've just, but very satisfied with their
0: product and it makes the duels sound terrific. Well, we're an Ortofon dealer too. It's just, um, unfortunately they've maxed out on um, retailers that are allowed to sell online. So I have to sell any Ortofons in the store. Whereas Grado, I can sell online too. But um, yeah, there's that. Sure. But no, we've had good luck with that. And you know, little
1: things like patch cables, Make sure you have good shielded cables with good content. Just all these little things you need to do. One of the things I wanted to touch on, you were talking about me working on duels and whatnot. Uh, I said it earlier, and this is an important distinction, is I am a mechanic. I don't know the first thing about electronics, and I watch your guys work here, and I'm just amazed at what they can do. Uh, They have no business touching a duel because they are not mechanics. And yep. that—that's the difference. It's a completely different mindset, and a person working with electronics—it's it, to me—it's fun and it's just good. You want to read a resistor, yuck? Yeah, there it is. Well, okay, I believe you. You know, it's—it's yeah. it's a whole different mindset. It's a whole different thought. But no, I'm a—I'm a mechanic, and that's what you need to be to work on these old duels.
0: You know, what's funny is because um, my dad was the one that used to do uh, the rebuilds on you know the the record changers and stuff like that he worked for Ford forever he's been a mechanic all his sure. life so he flips those over you know and kind of he just naturally figures out well this turns this way this turns this way this turns this Absolutely. way and he's one of those you know we break a dial string it goes to dad you know if you've seen those crazy dial strings oh, yeah. out through you know and where most people need you know the diagram it'll take them 4 hours uh he just looks at it and he can do it which it's too bad um you know he's really getting up there in age because there's not a lot of people out there that have that kind of mind that you know it's just not a skill set anymore that's being taught or you know even developed at this point just because you know i mean what mechanics really are being used in anything and that's a, what you just excuse me touched
1: on, which is a question i field every week people visit me and they'll go bill When are you going to retire? I don't know. I'm having too much fun. What happens when you do retire? Are you bringing your sons along into the business? Oh heck, no. They're engineers. They're ones in Boston, ones in Huntsville. They're off doing their own thing, and life's good. Well, when you want to end the business, what's going to happen to it? I said, well, I'll probably end when I die, and then I don't care. Right. You can't. You can teach electronic repair. You can teach mechanics, you can't teach the passion. And if you don't have the passion for the product or the work, it's never going to work. That's if people say, Bill, what's your advice? You just got it. Yeah. If you don't have the passion, your passion shows in your product and your work and your excitement and your interest. And if you don't have it, it's not going to work.
0: Well, I think, you know, I mean, in some ways, you know, you look at some industries where entrepreneurship is part of the regiment, even the recording industry. I've got a degree in recording engineering. And I had a couple choices. I either went to New York or I went to LA. Sure. And my options were to pay a studio to work there. And what they're trying to find is the people that have passion and the people that don't. Because they feel like if you are willing to not only work for free, but also pay us to work here, they feel like they're able to find or figure out if if the passion is there. Um, I obviously didn't have enough passion because
1: you did, but you didn't have enough money for your
0: grant. Jeez, yeah, right. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> and that's what some of those students did after they you know they graduated there, um, which is crazy. It's kind of like the whole pay to play for musicians you know, too. That was a common practice too, where you know bands would you know if you wanted to play a certain venue, the band was required to sell. 200 seats. And if you didn't sell those 200 seats, well, uh you just paid the venue because you had to purchase the seats. So, uh once again, you know, it's kind of a way to wean that out.
1: One of the things that if I had
0: time to do,
1: which I don't, is I would put on my website a page. And that page would be care and feeding of records. So many people and a lot of younger people are jumping into vinyl. Now, I'm starting to call it vinyl. and I'm a record guy. At least you didn't say vinyls. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Just shoot me. (laughs) (laughs) please. A a lot of people are are jumping into this college-age kids, young people, and they see this record and a record player as this panacea. Everybody says it's so terrific. I have to listen to it and my initial comment to these people when they call is wait a minute do you know what you're getting into yeah you have to take care of the record you have to clean it carefully better than i do you have to do so many things cuz if you don't it's going to pop and crack and skip and you're going to be spending the time you set everything up you know well over a thousand dollars on stuff and you're not going to be happy and it's not going to perform what you want it to do and i don't want to sell something to somebody that says gee i didn't know it was going to be like this well, i'm not faulting you for not knowing i fault, fault myself for not teaching you what to expect and we're lucky growing up especially me Around record players and learning at an early age how you had to take care of things. Your dad would smack you. More importantly than that, you just learn to take care of these things. And people that are just jumping into for, it for the first time, don't give that a thought. And you're going to look for used records. Well, you know, don't expect perfect. Yeah. It's not going to be. It's going to be good. But. You've got there's some things you have to overlook in how it works, and that's with pops or whatnot. That's part of the experience, if you want to call it that. And if you want something to sound like a perfect CD or MP3, that's what you need to buy. Yeah.
0: Don't
1: don't buy a record player. You won't be happy with it. And so that's what I'm trying to try to do as well is understand my customer. You know, if it's an older person like me who's been around it or especially previous customers, but we know what we're gonna get, but this is what I want. Great, yeah. we got them, let's go. You understand You understand the level of performance and there's a level of expectation.
0: Sure.
1: And if you come into it and go, "Wow, well, I didn't think it was gonna be like this. Well, then I didn't do my job I'm telling you. And I need to put a page up, care and feeding of records. I've been saying that for years. But when you work 70 hours a week, you don't have time for that.
0: Well, and I say this all the time too. You you do need to be. There's you need a certain level of OCD. You know, you need the right amount of OCD where you're you're cleaning your records because you have to clean them. And then, but you don't want to be over OCD where any pop and click is going to drive you crazy. So there's kind of a fine line with records where, uh, you know, if you're not OCD enough you're going to destroy your records if you're too ocd you're going to hate it anyway because there's so many imperfections yep. in the medium just from just the way it is just the way it is yeah it, that's it those are records yeah it's just it's just that simple the other thing too is you know i'll tell people this you know they come in and they you know i want to buy my son or daughter you know um their first turntable do you have any of those suitcase record players and i say yeah, No, you know, obviously we don't Um, for a lot of reasons besides the fact that, you know, they're horrible on records. Yeah, Mickey didn't play here. Yeah, the main thing for me, is, you know, I always say it's kind of like getting into photography. You know, you don't want to, if, you, if your kid comes up to you and says, I want to try out photography, if you buy him a $30 click and shoot, are they really experiencing photography or are they just clicking a button on a camera? You got to get to a certain, you know, there's a, there's a baseline um, of what is going to get you the experience of a vinyl record. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you know, it, there is a little bit of investment involved. Buying a Crosley Cruiser uh, with a, a barbed wire stylus on it that is going through a tiny speaker built into the, that. You're not experiencing vinyl records. No, you're uh, destroying so them is what you're, you're doing. You're really destroying them. And so, you know, at your point right there, you know, I, I do think a lot of people feel like, you know, because we live in a world now that is, uh, what's what's the term? Um, plug and play. Oh. Yeah, where we live in a plug and play world where, you know, you either you you take a device out of the box you hit play and everything plays on it you know with a with a turntable oddly enough i get customers that are my age and older that you would have to think have owned a, a record player at some point in their life and i'll they'll buy a turntable i'm thinking about getting back into vintage cool you know or getting back into vinyl great you know and then i'll get a message um, a couple hours later and they're sh- they got a picture of rcas And they're like, how do I plug these into my speakers? Yes. And I'm like, you know, once again, maybe I should have asked, but I just assumed that you realize those have to go into an amplifier and then, you know, the speakers plug into the amplifier. So there is a lot of re-educating, even for people that have been out of the hobby for a while. And there is a lot of new educating with people getting into the hobby and that, this is not a plug and play universe of music playback. There is a lot of, there's a lot of maintenance. There's a lot of setup. There's a lot of things to learn in order to get a decent vinyl experience.
1: There absolutely is. And you have to know what your customers are doing. We do, most of our business, almost all of our business uh, is shipped in from everywhere and one of the things we do or i do is every single turntable i talk in every single one you go to my website you won't see my address i don't want somebody taking a turntable chunking it in a box and going to the nice ups or fedex guy and say have fun with it they will Mm -hmm. and you open up a bunch of junk so no disrespect to the delivery guys they're great but if it's not packed right, it's not packed right. right. And so we insist that every customer calls and I go through packing every single time. If my wife heard it once, she's heard it a million times and just looks at me and said, you gotta do it. Yeah. If, if you don't, it's gonna arrive broken through nobody's fault. They're tough machines, but still. And when we sell a table, uh, besides the instruction manual. I do my cheat sheet, which is a one-page Quick setup guys guys if you follow what I say you'd be playing in five minutes Balancing the tone arm is critical yep. people you've got to beat that into their head. I hate yes. to say it like yeah. that yeah. But people call with a complaint. Did you balance the tone arm? Let's go through it together. Yeah. Oh Gotta remember that call me if you have questions. That's why I'm here uh, but The other thing that we run into a lot is people understand the way record players work, and they've got that nice new home audio system they want to plug it into. Well, guess what that doesn't have? have. That's it. It does. uh, My real simple question, do you have a phono setting on the selector switch? If you do, it's there. If you don't, it's not. Not insurmountable. You can buy another little box that'll do the job for you. We just need to know because that's an additional expense. And before we start taking your money from buying a record player, I want to make sure that you're going to have everything you need so that it's going to work. And it's just learning your customer a little bit and get get them talking and say, this is what we're trying to do. And uh, most times people will really appreciate that. Well, all times, really. Sure. People appreciate that because they get it. They want it to work and you know, no more than I want it to work. We're in an internet world and we care what people say online about us and we work darn hard for our reputations. I know you do, I know I do. Mm -hmm. And you want to keep it that way. And so the best way you can do that is with a good product, customer service and be there when they need you. That's it.
0: And that's all I try to do. Yeah, well, you've done it, obviously. I mean, I only hear uh, really good things every time your, your business and name pops up on, you know, whatever form it is and it you know it's the same thing it it it's tough i i can't imagine we don't do any shipping in or out and I, I i can't even imagine um how difficult that must be um to accommodate some of those things when you know you can't be in the same room and whatnot but so what are your thoughts maybe on the differences between vintage turntables or Vintage stereo equipment versus the new stuff that's coming out today. Um, what are your thoughts on on that? The it to me it's real simple. Uh,
1: the world has changed, production has changed. Uh, durable goods are no longer made in Europe or in the United States. Many are coming from the uh, Pacific Rim, and not that there's anything wrong with it, but. Prices are cheaper, quality is cheaper, and expectations are less for what you're going to get for your money. Uh, The vintage gear has a build quality and a construction and materials used to build that you can't honestly duplicate today. Uh, There's no way, in my opinion, a dual turntable could be made today that was built to the design specs of 1970s. There's just no way. What was new in 1970 at $250 would be $5,000 today. So uh, it's, it's just not gonna happen. So we have to keep going. Uh, what was the superior build quality and what the level of expectation was at that period of time. People bought these things to use them for years and years and they knew that the engineering and the design work put into it was A, going to work, B, work for a long time, and can't lose sight of the fact that a quality machine takes care of your records. That's what it's all about. That was Dual's biggest advertising push, is saying you wanna buy our record player because we're not gonna hurt your records like other record players could or maybe do uh because they put so much effort in the tone arm, into the tone arm bearings. And you've got a stylus, which is a small diamond tip, and it's mounted on a cantilever that hangs down from the cartridge that has to follow the groove of the record. And people take these duels and other brands And they're putting three, four, $5,000 cartridges on them. The cantilever is not aluminum. It's made out of boron. You can't even get boron anymore. (laughs) So they're doing some wild and crazy things. But these old turntables you can trust to take care of the investment of the cartridge. And that's not necessarily a small investment. It's easy to spend several hundred dollars on that. And... uh, that's a whole nother rabbit hole you can go down talking about cartridges, moving magnet, moving coil. And it's that's a whole nother discussion. Sure. Uh, but you want your turntable to be as neutral as it can be. Yeah. Let your cartridge do the work. Let your amplifier and preamp, tone controls, all that stuff do the work. Uh, but you want something that's just rock solid and quiet yeah. and just works for you. And that's where these old dual turntables work so darn well.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, we get a lot of people that come in and they they see the prices of the vintage equipment and, you know, I'll even, you know, I'll hear them say, "You know, I could buy a brand new stereo receiver from Best Buy, you know, for less than you're asking for these vintage ones and it's almost a non-starter where I almost I I can't I don't want to say I can't educate enough in that, but you almost can't describe the differences to somebody that doesn't that's not in these things all the time to show them the amount of quality mm-hmm. in a vintage piece versus the new stuff. And that I, I do say this quite a bit. Uh, you know, once that warranty is gone, that unit is gone, you know, with the new stuff. It's not repairable. Don't they're not to made them. to be repaired. Nope. Yeah. They're they're just disposable. And you know, it shows in the pricing. You know, it, it does show in the pricing because There is some really nice equipment out there being made. It's just not being made on a consumer grade level because most people are priced out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like Yamaha has, I believe it's an N3000, which is really close to a 1977 uh, CA-1010 integrated amplifier. I mean, they're spec for spec really close. They're eight grand. You know, and so when you see the price of a, a CA-1010, you think, well, geez, that's 1200 bucks." You know, they're only $800 brand new back then. Well, put it into the inflation calculator oh, yeah. and everything starts lining up again. But for some reason, people really do struggle with that, realizing that, you know, cheeseburgers have gotten more expensive. Everything's yeah. gotten more expensive. It's, it, it, you know, but it's so funny that with stereo equipment, it's like um, the last 40 years never happened. Prices should still be what they were back then, and it's just not the reality. And, you know, unfortunately, today people aren't allocating that much of their uh, income to their stereo equipment, or people would be buying better made equipment that's built today. It's just we don't spend a third of our income on our stereo equipment like they did in in the 70s and the 60s. Some of those console prices they were you know, you had a choice between whether or not you were buying a Volkswagen yep. or whether you were buying a Fisher Presidente console. You know, but that's that's uh you know that's the importance they put on having music in their in their living space. And we just did a an interview with uh John Chen from Grado and he made a really good point whereas, you know, you you peasants back in the day didn't have the luxury of having music. You had to be royalty in order to have a quintet come over to your house and play for you or go to see somebody in live music. You know, once the advent of music reproduction happened uh, and mainly became as popular as it did in the 50s and 60s, that opened up everybody to be able to experience the world of music reproduction. And now it's gotten to the point where it's really, for the price per unit, you can get a really good sounding stereo for very little money. Um, If you go vintage, you can just get even better uh, and repairability. So I agree with you 100% on, you know, there are definitely some advantages to vintage over modern and it's mainly um, money wise. One of the final thoughts just to pick up in your comment is
1: I didn't talk about Dual and its heritage. What kind of a name is Dual? Doesn't make any sense. Well, two brothers started the company in the Black Forest in 1923, and Dual was dual powered. Ooh. It had a mainspring that you could wind up or you could plug it into the wall. Theory being back in the 20s, the Germans like to go up on the hill for Sunday afternoon for picnics, and they could take their music with them and wind it up oh, and go. Cool. That's exactly what they did, and that's that's why it was called dual because it was dual powered, and that's where the name came from.
0: Oh, okay, so it was it was portable or plug-in. Yep, it was either way. Very cool. Yep. Well, I I, I can't thank you enough, Bill. <laughs> it's you know, you're one of my favorite people I've met in Des Moines. That is. Um, you know, in well, just in general, it doesn't matter that it has anything to do with music. It's just always really nice talking to you, of course. Uh, it was nice to be able to do it in front of the camera so other people get to experience your knowledge. And um it's you know, tough for me to talk about dual turns, as I, you can I, tell. Yeah, I, I knew going into this that I didn't really need to come up with a lot of questions that it would just uh flow naturally. So um I thank you again for your time. Greatly appreciate it. And um, if, uh, if you're in the market for a duel, if you have questions about duel, this is your guy. Or talk Get to
1: Kevin. Him. He'll talk to me. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Pick yeah. up we... that Yamaha from Kevin while you're over here. <laughs> yeah, that's the reason why we don't, we don't do anything <laughs> with duels. People come in and I say, yeah, there's no reason for us to even, we've got the man here in town. So um, if you're interested in duels, fixmyduel.com. Definitely check it out. And uh, thank you guys for watching. Really had a great time. Thank you. Thanks. Kevin, thank you. Bill is an amazing person. It's always fun to talk to Bill. And what a wealth of knowledge. So I definitely want to thank him. I want to thank you for subscribing, liking, sharing, all that kind of good stuff. And we'll see you in the next one. Thank you.